Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Welcome to Tales to Terrify, part of the District of Wonders network. Featuring Starship Sofa and Far-Fetched Fables, everyone has a story in the District of Wonders. Come and find yours. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. 
connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Good evening, children of the night. This past weekend, I saw Hereditary with a few friends. For a horror movie, it seemed to have quite a bit of hype surrounding it. Just before going into the screening, I was made aware of a heartbeat challenge. For those movie watchers who happen to own a Fitbit or Apple Watch that can monitor the heart rate, people would post how high it would go during the movie. Personally, I don't own one of those, but I found it to be something to add to that hype. As far as that hype goes, this movie watcher will say that the title of a review by Sarah Lyons sums that up. Hereditary is the scariest movie in ages, but it's not a classic. The buzz surrounding Ari Aster's film really did make it sound like the next Exorcist or Poltergeist or the Amityville Horror. I'd say it fell short of those accolades, but if you were to ask me why, what was missing, I'd have a hard time precisely pinning down an answer. The film has a build that at times does feel slow, slower than it needs. The high weirdness in the film is terrific, and there are layers to the plot that give it a real texture that might make the movie worth a second watch to catch the parts that you didn't know to look for the first go through. The real gem of the movie is Toni Collette, who plays the mother in the film, who takes her acting to eleven. She does a terrific job. My particular showing of Hereditary had a sort of, shall I say, enhancement. Just before the house lights went down, a group of young people came into the theater, closely followed by what to me smelled like a cloud of high-test cannabis. One of them spent a majority of the movie in nervously giggling into, presumably, her hand clamped over her mouth, following every scary thing that happened in the movie, which made things seem a little extra eerie for me. And as a further comment on that showing, as you are likely aware, Tales to Terrify is a mature podcast. We dissuade anyone below the age majority from listening, since adult themes are particularly common with the stories heard here. However, if you are a parent and decide to allow your young child to listen to the most graphic of our stories, that's your choice. But to be honest, I'll judge you for that. Just like the theater full of people I was in judged the family that brought four children, two of which were under 10 years old, to see Hereditary, a hard R rating. Anyhow, raise your kids as you see fit. Let's hear a story. Eliza Chan writes about East Asian mythology, British folklore, and mad women in the attic, but preferably all three at once. She likes to collect folk tales and modernize them with a twist of lemon, a pinch of pepper, and a kilo of surrealism. Work can be found in fantasy magazine, persistent visions, and several fox spirit anthologies. Kikinasai was first published in the Glasgow Science Fiction Writers Circle's 30th anniversary anthology 
finally proving to her father that the group of bearded men talking about Doctor Who was not a cult. Listen with me to Eliza Chan's Kikinase, originally appearing in 30 Years of Rain, 2016. A fly banged erratically into the light bulb, looking for a way into that enticing honeydew elixir, unaware that it was nothing more than white-hot filament. Its drone was the melody of a gypsy song, the percussion supplied by the instrument buzzing in the tattoo artist's hand. The artist thrust a worn photocopy into his face. She pointed. This one? Kazia nodded, pulling his hat down over his eyes. He had not really looked. It didn't matter which one he chose, dark roses and laughing skulls tacked to the walls blurred together. The tones of skin and ink swirled like an oil slick. He winced as the needle cut under the skin of his back. It had been nearly two years since his first tattoo, a tattoo he had not even wanted, but had needed. The noise pounded through the walls of the tiny venue, clapping and stamping. The crowd was going to go home happy. Their crowds always did. Did you see the two in the front? I'd take either of them home, Taichi said. Kazuya shook his head, caressing his guitar and adjusting one string until it sounded just right. Don't give a shit about girls. Were any of the journalists we invited here? I gave guest passes to half a dozen bloggers as well. Yosuke offered Kazuya the joint. We can't rush these things, Kazu. It was a good gig. We nearly sold the place out. To teenagers who know nothing about music, Kazuya argued, shaking his head to the weed. Taichi had dropped out of the conversation, crooning the opening chords to their encore song, a background track to the discussion. It pays the bills, Yosuke shrugged. Maybe think about lowering those expectations a bit. Fuck off, Kazuya said. I'm going to be someone. We all are. Yosuke smiled and took a drag from the joint. Kazuya looked down at his guitar, picking his frustrations out in the encore's chords, matching Taichi's melody. Something ran through his head like a forgotten promise, pressing at his attention until he acknowledged it. There, there, he caught it. If he changed the key on that chord, it sounded like something familiar, an old song his father had taught him on the Biwa, perhaps. He strummed it on his guitar, and it was changing, his fingers altering the melody into something else. It flew from his hands without conscious thought, mutating in the space between his nails and the steel strings. Kazu, time! Taichi yelled him back into reality as they stood to go. Kazuya nodded, but still his hands were at his guitar, finger-picking the haunting melody. He didn't want to stop. It was like muscle memory of a tune he knew, its name just catching in his throat. If he kept playing, he would remember it. But now the band would force him back on stage to go through the motions, play the worn covers that would predictably get a bigger reaction than their own material, and the tune would be gone. He'd be the same nobody he'd always been, mediocre as he had always feared. Kazuya looked up, knowing he had to refuse, and yet not knowing what words could suffice. He used his foot to kick open the door that was closing in their wake. Guys, I... Kazuya stopped. An empty white corridor greeted him. Silence. The smell of cigarettes and sweat had gone. 
And where were the cables, the precarious boxes of toilet rolls and mop bucket that reeked of stale beer, the staff rotors stuffed in dog-eared plastic wallets, the crowd, the people, the band? The corridor wasn't just silent, it was still. A reverential art gallery air. He realised that his fingers were still strumming, but they made no noise, not even the unplugged metallic twang. He sensed movement and saw a figure had appeared in the corridor, although he was certain no door had opened. In the white joy robes of a Shinto priest, it moved like a sheet of paper drifting in the wake of a gust, slip-sliding until it was almost upon him. Master musician Kazuya Hoichi, we've heard of your skills, your talent. We want to hear you play. The voice possessed neither gender nor accent. Its words, Kazuya noted, were ancient Japanese, stiff-backed as the cherry wood baton the figure pointed at him. Kazuya looked at his hands and saw he no longer held his guitar, but a stunning carved shamisen with tiger-claw tuning pegs. His fingers held a fat, fan-shaped plectrum carved like a diving fish with ivory teeth. The figure turned and walked quickly, so fast that it was soon a speck far along the white hall, and Kazuya had neither the time nor voice to call out. He followed on, feeling the firm ground beneath each step, but losing the sense of where the walls met ceiling and floor. The road figure bobbed at the limit of his vision. Or was that just a twitch of his eye? Kazuya couldn't tell. He blinked, and he couldn't see. He dare not reach out to touch the corridor walls for fear that the contact would make him lose that song that now played beneath his skin, silent to his ears but within his fingers and inside his head. A rhythm more than a melody, a series of erratic numbers and movements. He walked on blind, bodiless voices blaring, screeching, droning like musical instruments spoke to him from all around, blowing air around his ears and brushing past his face like an itch, buffering him playfully with their sounds. Play, play, wonderful music, rare and precious, the voices whispered, pushing at his hands with their cajoling words, caressing his ego and clamoring round him until he stopped walking. The shamisen, so silent up until now, started mid-refrain. Music flamed unbidden from his fingers and changed. The muscles in his arms tightened. Sound flew from top strings. He felt the strain across his range and his fingertips grew inflamed and then numb as the music swept through him. Chords poured out of him instinctively, as effortless as drawing breath. The song was forceful, waves of sound spilling from the strings. Two counter-melodies twisted together in a duel. One engulfed the other, gaining tempo and reaching a crescendo as it twisted bodily around its opponent. The song crashed to a close like waves battering their heads against a rocky shore. The last note reverberated, and there wasn't even an exhale as the adrenaline drained rapidly from Kazuya's body. He was devastated. Slowly, he crumbled to the floor, his eyes squeezed as he sought the comfort of darkness. I knew, he said. I always knew I had the talent. Beautiful music, a voice said with sincerity. Our ancient arts live through masters such as you. Play for us. Stay and entertain us for a week. Everywhere you go, music will follow. You will receive the acclaim you have always coveted. And then, your reward. Yes, Kazuya said, his voice soaring as his eyes flashed open. I want it. I deserve it, his mind whispered. He let the unspoken words sink in. Then tomorrow. We will meet again tomorrow. 
Kazia clutched the shamisen until his knuckles shook. He had the drive, the ability, his mind filled with the rich possibilities. The light drained from the corridor as he contemplated, turning the world to dusk and then on to night. A pinprick of colour reached Kazia's eyes, as if from the end of a telescope. It grew suddenly, a riot of shades spilling over him, sound and smells too, overpowering his senses. Then flashes of movement and hundreds of faces were screaming at him. Awareness came back with the sound of the bass and the drums, the people in the front row and the lights blinding him. Someone was jamming out an insane guitar solo, intense finger-picking, staccatoed with body-slapping rolls and taps. It wasn't the band's normal style, but it was sending feedback through the sound system and the crowd into a frenzy. Kazia looked down. It was him. His hands were making those delirious sounds, his fingers were like claws at the strings, and the rest of the band were struggling to keep up. Yosuke had just stopped playing and stared. With an abrupt off-key slide, Kazuya's hand slipped off the guitar strings and fell limp to his sides. It didn't matter. The crowd were in a dazed state. The drummer had the sense to wrap it up nicely in a flourish of cymbals and rolls. Kazuya's hands ached like he'd been clenching his fists for years. He examined his fingers. The calluses, hardened since he was a teenager, were bleeding. The music rang through the noise. No, the music was the noise. The applause, the shouts and whistles, Taichi's under-the-breath swearing, the buzz of the amp behind him and the erratic dripping of sweat down the back of his neck. It was his. All his. That night, the music flowed through him even as he slept. Tossed between the buffers of melody and rhythm, he woke to find his toes twitching out the beat and his voice crooning softly to itself. He grabbed handfuls of sheet music and let his pencil fall over them, salting the pages with notes and then lines, guitar chords, and vocal melodies. They came for him that night, and every night after. He opened his bedroom door, and found the same white corridor, the same robed figure beckoning him. The questions he had prepared dissipated in the blinding silence. He played again, played songs he had never even learnt. He played the koto zither, the biwa lute, and even drew a bow across the kokyu. He played to fill the gaps, when he was not speaking or eating, because the hunger would never be sated. Only once did he dare pause to ask if he could play the guitar for them instead, but the voices hissed in the harmony of shore pipes. Nothing new. It was like being possessed, he thought as he headed for the Shibuya subway. It started to rain, and all he could hear were those raindrops falling on car roofs, a thousand tempered taps on a taiko drum. A woman shook her closed umbrella free of rain, and the scattered water trickled through bamboo flutes in a forest. On the subway, the hiss of the doors opening made his hand roll and slap against his leg. He clicked his tongue in time as he sat down next to a sleeping salaryman. Is that him? he heard someone whisper in excitement. A group of high school kids peered over a phone screen, then looked up at Kazia. The one with the phone grinned brandishing his screen in Kazuya's direction. It is you, isn't it? Kazuya had seen the first video clip from the gig already. It had had half a million hits when he last checked. He had not seen this clip, though. It was him, all right, the day before at a ramen stand with Taichi, making percussion sound on his beer glass and the rim of the noodle bowl as they argued about their set list. As he watched, the viewing number increased by another one. Yes, that's me. 
His neighbour was startled awake as everyone reached for their phones in bags and pockets, sending a rustle of anticipation down the length of the carriage. Kazuya laughed as he cracked his fingers and stood up. His audience awaited. Near the end of the week, he was in the coffee shop where they had already nicknamed him Drummer Boy. They had taken a selfie with him to put on the wall, and his drinks were constantly being paid for by other customers. The waitress brought him an empty glass and plate with his coffee and loitered by the table with a grin on her face. Kazia grabbed chopsticks from the container on the table and played a percussion sequence on the crockery, alternating beats with the tabletop and the back of a metal chair. The beat slid him to the countertop, the improvised drumsticks travelling down its long edge and onto the leather sofas at the end. He played on the tray of change, making the coins dance. He tapped on the teapot and sent the forks rattling towards each other. Drum rolling on a plastic tray, Kazia rang the service bell as he spun and let the chopsticks fall to the floor in a flourish. Someone was already uploading the video on the internet, which reminded him he hadn't had time to respond to the emails for interviews yet, or return Yosuke's call about record labels. A young woman sitting with her boyfriend caught his eye and blushed. Kazia held her gaze and stood up a bit taller. This was it. The cover songs, the shitty day jobs the lacklustre applause and crowds that talked through their sets. They would stand up and listen now. Others clapped as he swaggered back to his booth, grin broad across his face. You're very loud. Kazuya winced at the grating edge of the voice. There was someone sat at his table. One tattooed hand circled Kazuya's coffee cup. The other hand, the whole left arm, was missing entirely. A baseball cap and beard obscured the stranger's face. Makes it really easy to find you. Kazuya sucked in air through his teeth. The discordant music emanating from the stranger like sweat pulsing feedback off a loudspeaker. He looked around, but the other people seemed oblivious. Sorry, do I know you? Kazuya said. No, but tell me, do you know Heike Monogatari? Children know what Monogatari means. A story, a tale. What the heck is the Heike? And why should I care? It's classic literature. You know it. You've been chanting it under your breath the whole time I've been watching you. The man's voice cracked and slipped off key. Heike Monogatari was the song, the unknown song that he had performed for them, Kazuya realized. He knew the story, a tale of warring clans that had been traditionally recited by traveling monks. The balance, the proud fell, the humble rose. What do you want? The stranger took off his cap and Kazuya found himself slipping from the seat in fright. The cacophony grew with his alarm. I always get that reaction, the other man said with a wry smile. You've played for them, haven't you? You have the look of a blind man enjoying the music of a truck horn as it careers towards him. They liked my drumming, so they took my arm as a souvenir. He waved his stumped left arm across his chest. But you, your smug sense of self-worth is loud and brash. They can hear you a mile off. You can't hold on to what you have forever. Everything is in decay. Kazuya couldn't take his eyes off the man's skin. Every inch of exposed skin was inked, tattooed. Faces winked at him from the stranger's cheeks, and the beautiful melodies which had followed him around jarred in broken strings and mistimed beats. Kazuya could not bear it any longer. He pressed his fingers against his ears. I need to go... Kazuya said as he edged toward the door. You need to hide. A fool wants everything now and pays for it all in one sharp fall of the katana. I learned the hard way. 
Before I hid, they took my arm, so I ran and never stopped running. Until five days ago, when it all stopped, they stopped haunting me because they found you. The tattoo artist passed him a hand mirror so thick in fingerprints that it had acquired an opaque quality. Kazia shook his head and pushed it away as he had done the day before. He never looked. The music still ran through him, but he ran ahead of it. It always came back, assailing Kazia and begging to be heard. Weakness made him give in, scratch out the song on a busker's guitar, write down chords on the back of receipts before the itch consumed all of his concentration. At other times, it simply simmered. Low-level elevator music or someone else's headphones on the train. But it always came back. He would get to a new town, seek out a new tattoo parlour and pay, beg or lie to get this strange manuscript, his camouflage, painted one square at a time across the canvas of his skin. He had started on his chest and radiated outwards and ripples toward his neck and down his limbs by the end of the first year. Then, like a carefully wrapped parcel, it started to envelop him, tattooing around his sides and back inwards, so that the last space of clear skin was at the centre. His back. This was the final piece. The tattoo artist was clearing up her accessories. The fan whirled behind them, sending the posters of tattoos fluttering briefly in its wake. It was quiet. Kazia slipped his hand into his jeans pocket and felt the smooth surface of the one-way train ticket he had bought the day before. That would take him to the next town in two days' time. Reverently, he pushed it further down into his pocket. There's a live night over at Zepp's tonight, the woman said, leaning back in a chair to tear a flyer from the corkboard behind. She handed it to Kazia's. He tucked his ears carefully beneath his beanie hat. Up-and-coming bands, reckon it's your scene. Scanning the lineup, Kazuya was struck by the name of the third band, who remembered his old band with fond nostalgia. He could still strum their familiar set list. But none of it poured music into his ears. None of it sent him on a percussion trip across the room. The music simmered quietly in whispered breaths. For the first time in almost two years, Kazuya smiled. At the door, the guy collecting money did a double take. Kazuya was used to it. Used to the stairs the nervous laughter and slowly retreating feet. Most people took at least a minute before they even thought to feign indifference. But it wasn't just the tattoos this time. Kazia found himself manhandled from his place slousing against the wall near the bar. Tycho drums rumbled gently as he was marched backstage and thrown into a back room. The music died. Before he could see the occupants, someone had spat in his face. Kazia blinked through wet phlegm. Taichi was glaring at him. Well, look who returns, if it isn't Jack White himself. Taichi's hair had grown in the last two years. Age had sketched lines over his face, but he still wore the same glamrock leather jacket. Just a little more worn now, as they all were. Shit, man, did you get mixed up with the Yakuza? Yosuke asked, throwing Kazuya a hand towel to wipe his face. Kazuya took a moment before he answered, noticing the other two in the room, new band members who looked bewildered. Something like that. Well, it'd better be something like that, Kazu, Taichi said. For fuck's sake, we were in talks with a record label on the back of that night, and then you bastard, you just walked out. You seem to be doing all right, Kazuya commented. This is not all right. We've been playing in tiny bars against high school bands who only know four chords. The Tokyo Budokan, that's where we should be right now. That's where we were headed. Yosuke moved between them, his hands held out placatingly. Taichi groaned and sat down, a scowl lingering on his brow. He pulled out a cigarette. Kazu, just tell us what happened, 
Nerves? We all get it. But an email message, you know, it would have been nice, Yosuke said. He patted Kazuya on his shoulder awkwardly. The noise reminded Kazuya of the wooden naruko clappers that dancers raised in the air during festival performances. Kazuya pushed it back, zipping the music beneath his jacket. It quieted. It, it wasn't safe. I need protection, he said. Fans, colourful fans waved across his vision, twisting into the rhythm of the drumming. Kazuya rubbed his eyes and the colours faded. The sound subsided to a dull headache. How does this shit protect you? I can't believe my cousin even recognised you under all this crap, Taichi said, grabbing his hand and turning it over and over like he was looking for a secret door. Kazuya rolled down the sleeves of his shirt rather than answering. 2D barcodes, the new drummer said, like the ones you can scan on your mobile phone when getting a website. A website? You don't know what a website is, Tai, Kazuya said. Fuck off, I know what a website is. Hey, it works, Yosuke mused, his phone aligned with a QR code on Kazuya's neck. Japanese Medical Association Journal. This one's a BBC website, the drummer commented. In mutual agreement, they all had their phones out now, checking the exposed squares of Kazuya's skin. The National Geographic. The Human Genome Project. The University of Tokyo. What are you, a university research project? It's hard to explain, Kazuya said quietly. The smiling tattoos of celebrities and politicians all across the man's face and neck still gave Kazuya nightmares to this day. But he heeded the warning. He had to. It wasn't merely his words, it was the noise that wafted from the one-armed stranger, the antithesis of harmony. At the first tattoo parlour, Kazuya had grabbed his phone, looking for something that was modern, something they would dislike. He had blanked, his mind so filled with musicality that everything else was being pushed to the very edges. Finally, he had tapped the phone itself, told the man to tattoo it across his chest for want of inspiration. The music had engulfed him leaving him senseless to anything until the tattoo artist had shaken his shoulder and pointed down. A 2D barcode the size of a CD cover centred on Kazuya's sternum. The image had been on his phone screen, a link to a news article his sister had sent him. It had evolved from there. Yosuke yanked the knitted hat from Kazuya's head. You idiot, you missed out your ears, he said, flicking Kazuya's right lobe with a finger. Kazuya ducked and batted his friend's hand away. Grabbing the hat back, he pulled it firmly over his head. I didn't forget. No one's getting near my fucking ears with a needle. My life wouldn't be worth shit without my hearing. But you let them ink your dick, then you are a fucking idiot, Yosuke said. Piss off, Kazuya said. So where have you been then the last couple of years? Taichi cut in. I couldn't stay anywhere for a week. I just had to keep moving, Kazuya said. And now? Taichi asked. He had lost his anger, always as quick to forget as he was to get pissed off. Now things have changed, Kazuya said, rubbing the dressing on his back. I can... well, I can do anything. We can do anything, Yosuke said. He looked at Taichi, who nodded. We'll do the circuits, get our name back out there, make a demo, send it out. Busk in Yogi Park if we need to. Screw that, Taichi said. Kazuya here is an internet sensation. All we need to do is upload a couple of new videos and the record labels will be phoning us. We deserve a break. Yosuke, Taichi, even the other two were looking at him expectantly. Kazuya listened. The music remained tranquil. Kazuya nodded. Slowly. Yosuke handed him a glass and poured out a large measure of whiskey. 
The golden liquid trickled and flowed, swirling around the glass's surfaces and swaying from side to side as Kazia looked. It was him that was moving, not the glass. His hand was shaking. The squares of black that covered his skin blurred together in a dark mass. Kazu, Yosuke asked. The band had all raised their drinks. They were waiting. Kazuya forced himself to be still. He listened. It was still quiet. So what if he felt sick tomorrow? He could sleep in, take his time. He was safe, cloaked from them. The possibilities unfurled before him. Rejoin the band, make a new one, sell the scribbles he had written over the past two years, get what he deserved. He felt cheek muscles tighten and a smile breaking across his mouth. To new beginnings, he said. Taichi's floor smelt like weed and stale beer. Opening his eyes, Kazuya found his head next to a pile of mildewed music magazines and half a bottle of shochu. He didn't dare sit up, knowing the inevitable headache was looming. Music played in another room. He could hear the bass line rattling low and unobtrusive. It was a warm towel pressed against the throbbing of his temples. He had been catching up with Taichi and Yosuke for days now, and catching up mostly meant drinking. Kazuya used the toilet and went to wash his face, startled to see his own reflection. For once he forced himself to look. It was as if a child had drawn across his face with black markers, rendering his features indistinct. The code was a checkerboard of squares within squares. His eyes stared back at him, wide and bloodshot. Reverently he peeled off his shirt and twisted to see his back. The tattoo still looked shiny, the skin an angry red around the pixelated squares. Peering over his shoulder, his eyes roved the mirror looking for gaps. It was seamless. The joints from tattoo to tattoo were unperceivable, a patchwork quilt made by over a hundred artists. His mobile vibrated from his back pocket. He answered the call, still staring into the mirror. Yeah? Even Taichi showed up on time. You were supposed to be here twenty minutes ago, Yosuke said. Chill. I just woke up. You can't rush talent. We've been waiting for two years already. Then thirty more minutes won't hurt. For pity's sake, just get here already. Yosuke said, his voice tense with annoyance. I can't keep stalling. Put on a clean shirt or something. They're going to freak out as it is with your face. Throw us out as Yakuza. Not when they hear me play. Well, you have to be here for that, Yosuke said as he hung up the phone. Kazuya smiled at his reflection and put his shirt back on, looking for his hat before he headed out. He thought about taking a shower, breezing in an hour late and blowing those industry snobs off their feet. But he pitied Yosuke. The bass player needed a break. And Kazuya was feeling generous enough to share his. The music barely registering on his consciousness up until now had grown louder. Like a glitching track on a loop, the same few bars played over and over. It was a peculiar song, ethereal and full of choral voices singing dazzling upward spirals against a lackadaisical beat. Kazuya didn't recognise it. Probably a local DJ. He walked back through the main room and saw a stereo shape under half-empty bottles of green tea. The black box was retro, the buttons markings completely worn off, but it wasn't on. It wasn't even plugged in. In Taichi's bedroom there was a mixing deck, currently an expensive clothes horse hooked up to a laptop. It was on standby. He opened the window, letting the cool air sweep around him and listened, straining his ears to identify the source of the music. It wasn't out on street level. His bare feet padded on the tatami mat, flooring like additional bass beats to the crescendo of sound. The music grew louder still, waves emanating, ripples so loud they were almost visible as they poured over him. It was coming from the front door. 
Kazia walked toward it, fumbling for the spare key hanging on the same hook as a dog-eared calendar. He didn't have to look. It had been a week and he had not run. Kazia threw open the front door and the music stopped. Voices muted. The silence was so sudden that he found himself clutching onto the door handle for support. The robed figure walked in slow, measured steps of certainty down the corridor. Kazuya didn't dare breathe. He stood as still as his panicking mind would let him. Hoichi. Kazuya Hoichi. The voice rumbled. He didn't reply. Kazuya shut his eyes so tight they began to twitch. He covered his ears with his hands trying to block out the voices. How terrible. The great musician Hoichi has gone. Gone and left only his ears behind. We gave him the gift and he must pay for it. Kazuya's eyes snapped open. The robed figure reached. Ice sank through Kazuya's hands, through his hat to pinch at both earlobes. He will receive his reward, the voice said. The flat tone of the clip words gave him warning, but not enough. The hands ripped and twisted with equal force. Kazuya felt his ears being pulled, stretched around, tightening tuning pegs. With an audible tear, the strings broke. Pain speared through his skull. His eyes closed again, trying to deny the pain, contain the scream that ripped through him and demanded to be voiced. But he would not let them rip out his tongue also. The liquid warmth of his own blood trickled down his neck and dripped from his forearms, a steady rhythm at odds with the pulse at his temples. But he couldn't hear it. It was just noise. That was Eliza Chan's Kikanasai, as read by J.K. Shepler. J.K. Shepler was born in Texas and raised in Northern California among the rolling hills of the Coast Range and the oaks of the Gold Country. He returned to Texas for secondary and post-secondary education. He attended the University of Houston, and someone decided to give him a Bachelor's of Science degree with highest honors in anthropology. He was hyped to pursue a master's degree in experimental archaeology at Exeter, but decided to retire, thus sparing the British from his accents. He is a two-stripe brown belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu under Tony Torres Aponte and haunts various local museums, where he sometimes contributes to historical exhibitions or simply loiters. He surfs, throws knives, and scratches out some visual art. He is slated to finish some creative projects sometime in this decade, including illustrating a children's book, and if he ever wakes up, a bunch of other stuff. He sometimes sells fine woolen scarves and old ties, and somewhere people buy his t-shirt designs and photographs. He rarely pens brief movie reviews, which are written in some sort of bizarre dialect at downthemoviehole.blogspot.com. Link will be in the show notes. Mr. Shepler has opened for major touring acts in various bands, produced music videos, acted, and has been a general pain 
in the backside. He is fortunate to be the son of artist-educator parents, and he gives thanks. His parents give him love and taught him to love learning and to be like the warriors and Renaissance men and women of old, artistic, creative, thoughtful, honorable, capable, and well-armed. Thank you, Mr. Shepler. That'll be our show for the evening, Children of the Night. Visit our Patreon page in the links below, and don't forget to like us on Apple Podcasts. Our show is produced by our editors Scott Silk, Seth Williams, and Drew Sebastini. Website designed by Josh Leitze, and theme music by Diane Severson. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 4.0 license. Join us again next week for another episode of Tales to Terrify. This presentation has been brought to you by the District of Wonders Network. Dedicated to podcasting the finest genre fiction. You can learn more about the District of Wonders and their many literary productions at their website, www.districtofwonders.com. Thank you for listening. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 